This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, joining me is a flight test engineer, Aaron Judy, to discuss how you can benefit from a lifetime of learning. But before we begin, a a few announcements. Uh, The current online scholarships guide includes 38 new scholarships and 10 updates with a new index and new scholarships for adults category. To find out more, visit aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. And uh, or just click on the scholarships tab. If you have any questions too, don't forget you can ask questions by hitting the contact button or feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you're interested in that scholarships guide and possibly getting one for free, we have a limited number of coupons. Uh, we have this thing called the Pay It Forward campaign where people will actually donate. And all the money that comes in, what we do is once we raise $10, we give away a scholarships guide. We've been giving away uh, dozens of scholarships guides. So use that coupon code pay it forward, all one word, before you actually purchase. You might get one for free. Another project we just started is the pilot interview course. This is part of what we do with the career coaching. I've decided to take some of those questions that I have during the career coaching when we prepare for the airline interviews, actually for any of the interviews in aviation. These are interview technical interview questions and also HR questions. And so what I'm doing is one a week on our YouTube channel, and we're up to number three or four so far. I can't remember. But anyway, there's a link. Uh, to our YouTube channel, check out the pilot interview course series. Uh, and that's also available to those that are in my career coaching. If you are in career coaching and you don't have access to that, let me know because that's kind of a new course. Uh, once we get to a certain number of questions that are out there, then we make it available to the general public. Anyway, let's move on to our show. Well, today, like I said, we have joining us a flight test engineer. We've had flight test engineers on before, and it's such an exciting uh, field. It's really interesting. Aaron Judy's here to talk about a lifetime of learning. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Yeah, thank you, uh, Carl. Really appreciate being on. I know it's been uh, a while since we've talked about this, but uh, glad to take some time and talk to you today. Yeah, this is great. You know, Aaron and I, just a little history, we've known each other uh, through Polk State College. Uh, I volunteer at Polk State College, as some know, as the coach of the flight team and do various other things at the school. And Aaron actually works as a adjunct professor. I'm pretty sure that's correct, right, Aaron? That is correct. Adjunct okay. professor. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. I, I get a lot of great feedback uh, about Aaron's abilities, and uh, he's helped with develop some course where and also teach that course where online and in person so both both sides of the course there but Aaron you know one of the things that's impressive about you is the fact that you don't stop learning I think that's really important I've stressed that so much on the show is that you keep moving forward but you're a testament to that because you've actually done that especially in your life in academia you have and correct me if I'm wrong two bachelors two masters and a doctorate is that correct two bachelors one masters and a doctorate Okay, so, close. <laughs> pretty close. But that that's a it's incredible because you're you're fairly young and that is a lifetime of learning. Um, but tell us a little bit about your background and and also, you know, this this whole and we'll talk a little more more about the importance of that lifetime of learning, but you know, especially in this field. I know you're very passionate about aviation. So, what how it's kind of interesting to see how those co-mingle, but tell us a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, so uh, both my grandfathers were pilots. Um, my grandfather flew B-24s in World War II. 
So when I was young, um, as many that are involved in aviation, I was exposed to it at, you know, three, four, five years old, um, going out to the airport and helping wash airplanes. He took me up in helicopters and small Cessnas. Um, and there's pictures of me. I, I have some here in my office now of me, you know, like I said, four or five years old, standing by my grandfather in front of an airplane. A lot of pictures of me when I was a kid falling asleep with uh, airplane toys on the couch. Um, my mom has plenty of those. <laughs> so <laughs> it was uh, it was established at a very young age. Um, I always enjoyed uh, science and math classes uh, more than I enjoyed reading and English courses. <laughs> um, so as you kind of, I grew up around aviation, uh, certainly became, I think, more of an analytical uh, mind as I, as I went through school and high school, and then uh, decided to go into the engineering route. And I knew I wanted to do something in aviation. So I chose aerospace and mechanical engineering at uh, West Virginia University and went there. And that's where I got my two uh, bachelor's degrees at uh, West Virginia University. So that's kind of what kicked it off, you know, just being exposed to aviation at, at such a young age. And I think that's that's important, right? I think some some people I talk to that are exposed to things at a young age, maybe they, they decide later in life that that's not something that they're interested in. Um, but for me, um, it kind of lined up as I, and as I was exposed to that, that was where my passion lied and I continue to continue to do that. Yeah, you know, I love how you say that's where your passion lied. It it really it develops at a young age for some people. Sometimes it, it develops later. But um, what one thing I'd I'd like to hear from you about is sometimes we find somebody in our past that helps us along this journey. Do you think that was somebody who was inspiring to you, such as your parents, that kept pushing you in that direction or just helping you in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. Parents, um, high school teachers, um, for sure. Um, high school is such a, a pivotal age. And of course, being an adjunct, uh, we sometimes get the dual enrollment students that are also attending high school and come into Polk State. And I always try to tell them, you know, you're at a very important part in your life right now to try to make a decision what you want to do in the future. Because um, I know I had that um, growing up and coming along. And I think that's extremely important. But absolutely, my parents um, were very uh, informative of, of college and what to do, where to go, and that type of thing, and the, and the way to get there. Um, and then additionally, once I graduated from college and started getting into the career field, um, I just met people along the way that's always been a huge inspiration to me, and took me under their wing, and kind of just uh, mentored me along the way in this world of aviation. I love how you use that word mentor, because I think that's really important that we latch on to those people that can be mentors. Uh, sometimes we think they're mentors and they're not. And this is where I tell people, you know, choose those people carefully. In other words, you may have somebody you think's a mentor and, and may lead you down the wrong path. But in general, there's so many people out there that, that are willing to help you out and give you advice. But take everything in uh, and and then filter it if, it if it becomes very, very negative, especially. For the most part, though, I think people really do want to see you actually succeed, don't you feel? I agree. Absolutely agree, Carl. Um, I think especially in aviation, obviously I can't speak for all uh, career fields, but aviation is a close-knit community, and I think a lot of people out there are willing and definitely trying to help uh, people get ahead. So before we learn about what a, a flight test engineer is, in general, with, with engineering, you know, we, we see this within the community of pilots. We see this in doctors, et cetera. Um, is there that community that, like, uh, you see them on the bulletin boards, et cetera, that are out there and 
tend to be naysayers. Do we see that also in your career field, like uh, like you see sometimes on online and on Facebook, et cetera? I, and I can't really say I, I see that. Um, I don't have any experience with with seeing that type of thing in, in my field. Um, I think the I think what's helped that maybe I should take that back. Maybe earlier in the mid to late '90s we saw some of that, um, but now with STEM being such a huge push from the government side, whether that's at the federal or state level or local, um, I think STEM is now a hot thing um, for people to talk about and put money behind and effort behind, whether that's all the way down to, to really K through five. Um, they're starting to incorporate a lot of STEM stuff. So um, I think when you're looking at STEM, which I, I consider aviation and certainly a part of that group, um, I, I don't see as many naysayers as I've seen before. And I think it's a very positive outlook. You know, with the, the STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math, one of the things that I think sometimes we feel, I know I did because I started out in computer engineering, is that um, I didn't think I could do it. And luckily, I had a couple of people, actually, my brother was a big part of it, uh, people that would help me through that and say, even though you got a little bit of a late start, you can make it through. For instance, for me, uh, I had to take remedial math, that kind of thing, and then get back started into doing things. So even if, you know, one thing I want to stress here, even if you're in high school right now and things aren't as strong, but then you develop that that actual passion later on, you can make it. You can actually become an engineer, even if you've had some challenges in the past with math or engineering, et cetera. So, so don't let the naysayers say you can't do it. They're just start over. I mean, there's so many schools out there that start you from square one and, and start moving forward. I don't know, Judy, have you ever met anybody like that who, who actually had some challenges and then were able to get through that? Yeah, me. <laughs> you know, it's funny image. You know, I, I didn't graduate top of my class from high school. I think that's when, when you have an education like I do background, that's I get that a lot from folks. You know, the, you're, you're a book smart type of person. It comes easy to you. Um, I think it's come easier to me later in life because I've matured. Um, that's a maturity thing. Um, but early on, you know, through college, uh, you know, I went to a big university, Western University. Um, so there were a lot of other extracurricular activities occurring in that, in that atmosphere. But I surrounded myself by a lot of good other colleagues and we, we hunkered down and, and we studied and got stuff done. But it was hard work is really what it came down to. Um, not necessarily how smart you are. But putting effort into it and hard work is really where it comes down to. And I think that's where the passion drives, right? So if you're passionate about something, you're going to work hard at it and put the effort in. Um, I don't think there's a ceiling. I think a work ethic is incredibly important, especially in something that's difficult like engineering and and piloting, et cetera, is to develop that early on. And again, I, I think you're right. We all don't start off knowing everything. And um, and we have our challenges. You know, I, I again, use examples. Uh, one of my mentors, my dad, you know, when he came to this country, didn't know English and wound up going to high school, college and then medical school, become a doctor. So you can follow the path of those other people and find out from, you know, Aaron and myself, we all have challenges in life and we overcome them. And I think sometimes when we look at engineering, we think to ourselves, oh, that's too tough. But latch on to somebody like us, talk to somebody and say, hey, we're we're just like you. And we also had challenges too. I and mean, you can make it through it, but a big part of it is, is hard work. Yes. And, and that's a huge part. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important to, to tell people that, but 
Great advice. I, I tell you, Aaron, uh, I didn't realize, I, I always assume, you know, and Aaron and I had known each other for a long time and never actually asked about his background, but I assume you just kind of walked out of the cradle and, and started doing the engineering thing. No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, it comes from the development of, of studying, et cetera. Uh, and before we talk about engineering, there's one more thing I, I forgot to ask you about. One of the things I think is challenging in the engineering field and some others, and, and people say that about aviation in general, is developing habits of study. And I know I had this struggle with study habits, especially in high school. I think I was, you know, not the best student in the world like some other people out there. How about you? I mean, what what helped you move forward in having better study habits so you could succeed? Yeah, good question. Um, I think, again, it's different from from different people. I, I typically have to get away to a quiet place and, and, and cut everything else out. Um, even to the point of putting earbuds in to listen to music in the background doesn't really work for me. Um, if it's a real simple task, I might do that, um, that I'm comfortable with. But if I'm studying, you know, especially when I was getting my master's degree and doctoral degree, um, it was pretty quiet every time I was studying. And I carved out time um, to do that. And I ensured also that I didn't burn myself out. So, um, and I talked to my students about this at Polk State. Don't wait until the last minute to study for an exam um, or whatever you have coming up, put it in chunks. If you can chunk it, um, it's much easier than you're going to feel more comfortable when you go in and take that exam than trying to, you know, take everything in, uh, all at once. So chunking it is a good idea and then balance. Um, everything's a balance. Still go do fun things. <laughs> Even when I was getting my doctorate, I went fishing on the weekends every now and then it wasn't as much, uh, granted, uh, but I still went out and did fun things and that helps keep that balance. Yeah, the, the we talk about the work-life balance. This is all the study and the life balance. Um, and clearing your plate and going to those spots that work for you. I, you know, that was a great point, Aaron, because everybody has their different way of studying. You just have to develop and find out what it is. And, you know, for me, I found out it was being at a library and hearing other people around studying. Uh, for you, it might be somewhere that's quiet. It may be having the music in the background. It all depends. But find out what it is and use it. Um, the other thing, too, I think that's important as far as study habits are concerned is don't listen to other people. Do what is best for you. Listen to other people as far as advice if you're looking for how to do that and experiment with how to study. But once you find it, find that that thing that works, keep using the thing that works because what they're telling you, whatever that person is doing, they might have good intentions, but it works for them. It may not work for you. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. To, you know, it, it just, just do whatever works for you. That's all. Yep. Um, and, and that's something that I think uh, leads into the next thing is the fact that when we learn things, we, we sometimes don't know, you know, what we don't know. And a good example is the thing called a flight test engineer. And, and quite honestly, I had no real clue as to what it was before I started this podcast years ago. And I've had quite a few people on. But the question comes up often because we don't talk about it very, very much. So maybe you could walk us through the flight test engineer, what it is, and possibly all the different things that a flight test engineer can do. Yeah, absolutely. So... I mean, to put it in simple terms, a flight test engineer is responsible for the safe execution of developmental aircraft testing. Um, so they do operational testing as well, but mostly it's for new aircraft systems. And I do work for the government. So uh, in my case, uh, developing, you know, whether it's the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter or some unmanned drone like an MQ-4C Triton or the Global Hawk. 
But what an FTE does, their day-to-day tasks, they're going to plan um, aircraft flight tests. They're going to work with uh, airworthiness, um, which is a common term that uh, the community is familiar with and pilots and, and other folks. But working with airworthiness engineers, airworthiness office, collect data, analyze data. And then what they're really trying to do is either uh, improve the performance of an aircraft or create a flight envelope if it's a brand new airplane or exp- expand um, that flight envelope of the airplane. Um, Then you get into some more technical issues that flight test engineers deal with on a day-to-day basis. It can get, just like any other engineering, you can get down into very specific areas of flight test engineering uh, where you're looking at things like flutter, uh, structural loads, uh, flying qualities, performance, and then understanding things like stick forces, uh, breakout friction, um, those types of things. And I know there's some high technical terms I just threw out there. Uh, on, on the podcast, but and some folks listening probably are familiar with those types of terms, but they're really important. Um, you know, those are the types of things that are kind of hidden uh, behind the airplane that the pilot doesn't deal with because it's been deal- dealt with in an aircraft uh, performance flight test or flight test uh, envelope expansion. But that's then how you get the POH, right? Um, that's why it says there's a reason why there's a never exceed speed on the airplane. There's a reason why you can only pull so many G's. And it's due because flight test engineers came along with test pilots and said, hey, this is the limits of the aircraft. Let's scale it back. This is the safe operating range for the aircraft to be used in. And then finally, you know, to, to wrap it up here, uh, a good example of this is the movie Apollo 13, uh, Mission Control, when all the folks are sitting in the room. Um, that's what flight test engineers do to then execute the flight test, talking to the pilots over the radio. You have someone there looking at GNC, Guidance, Navigation, and Control, someone looking at flying qualities, someone looking at environmentals, someone looking at structural data, and they're all talking back and forth and looking at the data coming down on their computers to ensure that the the test pilot really isn't going to get themselves into a situation, end up having to ejecting or or losing a hundred million or multi-million dollar airplane, which is not not good. You know, we talk about flight test engineering. Another thing that comes up, and and that's in the production phase and and somewhat afterward in the development and modifications. But one other thing that we've had on the show in the past that's interesting, there's a thing called a repair test engineer. Uh, There are certain repairs that, you know, are done to the aircraft either by the manufacturer or somebody, and and those things have to be tested. So that's another kind of a neat avenue uh, Mm -hmm. in in that whole field. Um, and, And if someone's looking, into those type of things. Obviously, you can go to past episodes, but one thing I want to talk about before we talk about advice on becoming an engineer is this organization where you can find all that information. And by the way, this organization is outstanding and they do so much for the community. It's called the Society of Flight Test Engineers. And if you, you think that all they work with is flight test engineers. This is not true. I mean, they actually do so much for the community in so many different ways and outreach. Um, and the first time I got involved with them, we actually won a, a prize because of our flight team. And and really, a lot of what they're doing is trying to see people develop programs. It doesn't have to be engineering programs, but they want to see people moving forward uh, in in whatever it is they do, the Society of Flight Tests and Engineers. And that's actually what's really cool. They have a list of a lot of the different career fields. Um, so before we talk about advice on becoming an engineer, um, Aaron, this organization I just described, I'm not a member. Yeah. Um, is there anything I missed as far as what they do? No, no, I think you hit it on the head. I am a member of SFTE, what we call it, Society of Flight Test Engineers. Um, myself and a couple of my colleagues, we've written papers um, presented them at SFTE uh, conference symposiums. 
Uh, I know I did one not too long ago over at, at, at Cape Canaveral, and they do them at different places. I've done them at Eglin Air Force Base, at Naval uh, Air Station, Patuxent River, Maryland, out at Edwards Air Force Base. Um, so typically when they do these things, they are at a cool place. So if you are involved in them, you're going to get to go see something that's that's really interesting um, in aviation. But yeah, great, great organization. Uh, definitely has a lot of outreach to to the younger uh, folks that are interested in aviation. And I would really encourage people to, to take a look at that and get involved. They're an organization that's definitely uh, looking out for folks that are doing good things in the, in the testing world and the aircraft world. Um, and like you said, it just uh, it doesn't have to be just um, flight test engineers. It can be engineering associated with aviation. Um, they do do a lot of things to reaching out to the to the younger community uh, to get them involved. They have events uh, like that, similar to um, AIAA. Um, I forget what AIAA stands for, <laughs> but um, very similar to that organization. And then uh, uh, they have symposiums and conferences that occur throughout the the United States that you can attend listen to lectures and that type of thing. And I've been lucky enough to actually write some papers uh, for SFTE and present them at symposiums with a, with a few colleagues. Cool. And uh, AIAA will get to, we'll actually have one of their, uh, we'll have a link to that website too. Uh, so there's lots of, lots of really good organizations out there. That's for sure. But one of the things that I'd like to get from you as far as advice and because you've done a lot in, in the engineering field is if someone's listening right now, they they're either either in high school, in college, looking at changing uh, careers or changing their path in college, or maybe they're post uh, college and they want to go back in engineering. What advice would you give somebody about the possibility of becoming a engineer? Well, again, I, I think you have to follow uh, what what you're interested in. Um, don't do it for the money because <laughs> um, you're you're gonna you're gonna hit some hard courses in, in engineering. Uh, and they are hard, you know, I, I try not to make it sound simpler than it is. Um, you know, with engineering, you're going to have to take, uh, you know, calculus courses more than one. Uh, you're going to have to take physics more than one. Um, and, and there's a lot of uh, theory behind that uh, of how things, how things work. But if you're interested in that, you know, get involved uh, in some type of STEM or, or now it's called, they're calling it STEAM. Uh, but getting in some type of thing that uh, works for you to kind of get your the analytical side of things going inside your brain um, would help. Um, and then and then find a mentor, uh, like I said before, to help you along the way. Um, hook up with other colleagues or other people that are that are doing the same thing because I think engineering is one of those things. I didn't do it all on my own. We always studied together. And then another thing I like to tell people about engineering is that it's not a science uh, or it's not a scientist. So everything we do is um, it's sometimes not exact. <laughs> it's, it's estimated things. Um, we don't study a problem for a really, really, really long time. We're looking to solve a problem uh, very quickly and efficiently and within a cost and schedule uh, time frame. So you don't have to memorize a lot of information. Um, you know, in the medical field, I had people when I was in college that were going into the medical field, whether that was nursing, becoming a dentist, and they have to memorize a, a lot of information. Well, in engineering, you don't memorize a whole lot of information. You have to understand concepts. But I never took a test um, where it was a memorization thing. Um, I always had the formulas there in front of me where the professor gave you those formulas. Uh, and we were able to look at the problem and say, okay, here's the problem I'm looking at, which formula really applies to that problem and start to kind of sketch it out, draw it out, 
um, start plugging in some things and come up with an answer, circle the answer and say, hey, I think this is how the answer should be or uh, close enough to solving the problem. And then you get this thing called partial credit, which helps you along the way um, in engineering. So it's not an exact science. It's not something where you have to go study, 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 and then regurgitate a whole bunch of information that you've put the memory. It's a, it's a problem-solving skill that they're trying to teach you, um, and, and that's really important in engineering. I think that's cool. You're, you're solving problems, which is really awesome in that. Uh, I think another important thing in life in general is to see the results of your labor and your efforts, and, and you get to see that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I tell my wife all the time and, and friends that, you know, I've had some bad days of work, obviously, but as far as my career, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. It's been, it's been amazing. I've been able to work with amazing technology, uh, amazing people, um, uh, supporting the military and doing a lot of military programs, obviously. Um, but every day is exciting. Um, the next day is never the same as the day before. Um, we don't sit in cubes all day long. Uh, we're in meetings. We're on travel. I've traveled around the world. I've been to England and Germany, uh, Spain, uh, Japan. Uh, I've been all over the place, all over the United States, to different military bases, and, and seen things you know that a lot of people will never get a chance to see. So it's it's extremely exciting, and um, yeah. You know, one of the things that you brought up is wife, family. Um, as far as the job is concerned, as far as an engineer, um, what type of lifestyle do you have? I mean, is it kind of like more like a nine to five type of thing? It, it can be. If you're in a, a highly developmental program, like, for example, NASA is doing right now with all this stuff going on, it, it's not a nine to five for them. Um, you know, when a launch gets canceled or scrubbed and they have to then push it to Saturday, well, you're showing back up on Saturday. And if that means you had a baseball game planned with your kids, well, you're, you're probably going to miss the baseball game because <laughs> you got to go to work on Saturday to support that launch. Very similar to a flight test engineer. If an aircraft get, a test gets scrubbed on a certain day because of weather or something of that nature, they move it to the next day, you're going to have to show up. But that's not an everyday occurrence. Those are things that happen um, every now and then. And sometimes you have to travel, you'll be away from your family. Uh, but it's not long durations. You know, It's not travel where you're gone for three to four weeks. It might be a week here and then a few months later, a week somewhere else. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good work-life balance. And it depends, again, though, what you go work on. Um, if you're going to work on the new evolving space program, it's probably a little less uh, work-life balance or a really highly important developmental aircraft program. It's probably a little less work-life balance. Um, when I was younger, when I first started out, I was single um, and I was willing to do all the travel I could possibly do. <laughs> um, but then as I moved up in seniority, I scaled that back and now kind of manage things a little bit more and not on the road as much, though I do get to go on the road quite a bit still. So one of the things that's important, too, to talk about, I think, is is uh, salaries and things like that. As most people know on the show, I like to point towards the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And uh, it's, it's a rewarding job. You're going to make more than uh, the median income. Uh, sometimes three times as much. Uh, as far as aerospace engineers in general, uh, they have 116000 as the median pay. It does range. And by the way, those websites are really good because they kind of give you all these different variances as far as you know how to start and that type of thing and the different organizations, et cetera, and how many jobs there are that are new. The, the numbers lag a little. They're usually from like last year or two years ago, but good stuff to look at. Um, but in your experience, Aaron, would... 
you know, what type of salary ranges and benefits uh, would you see uh, with somebody who's going into aerospace engineering from your experience? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not on the hiring end right now as much as I, I was a little bit, um, maybe five or seven years ago. Um, but I would say they're starting out around between between sixty and sixty-five thousand a year uh, right now. And I can see people that have uh, done 25, 30 years up to almost 200000 or more, um, depending on, again, who you go work for. If it's a smaller company, it might not be as much. Um, but if you work your way up within Boeing or Lockheed Martin, you can easily reach the $200,000 a year mark or more um, as an engineer. Um, but you're right. I think that median range is probably around 115 to 125 um, is where you're going to be about mid-career or somewhere around that range. So you'll make a good living and be able to support your family for sure. And uh, and that's what's important too. I, I know we talk about our passion, but uh, it's always good to figure out where you're going to be and what you can do as far as paying the bills. Uh, and that's that one of the things we do a little different on the, on the podcast. We love to bring up these type of topics, et cetera. And again, most engineering jobs have a sim- similar type of benefits. One thing you, you talked about is you do work for the government. Now, are you, you're an employee of the government or are you a contractor? No, I'm an employee of the government, so I'm I'm a GS. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'll have like a government pension, et cetera, afterwards. Yes. So, and and doing that though, I'm assuming there's certain things that you have to do to become uh, a flight test engineer within the government. Are things that might be special, for instance, either medically or uh, any like clearances or anything like that that you have to get. Yeah, a good question, Carl. And it's actually one of the things um, when I was in uh, college. We had people come talk to us about what we were doing on our free time <laughs> to ensure we had a good background when we went for a security background check uh, investigation to work in this field. So if you're going to go into aerospace engineering, more than likely you're going to be working something that's going to require a security clearance, um, whether it's NASA or with the Department of Defense. Uh, you know, maybe if you go work for um, – uh, Cessna or Cirrus or something of that nature as a flight test engineer, you might not need it. Um, but those are typically um, smaller avenues than some of the DOD and larger contractors that are out there like Boeing and Lockheed Martin that do most of the recruiting in this field and NASA. So you're going to need a security background investigation. And what does that mean? That means you, know, you, need, to, you need to ensure you don't have a, a drug record, um, DUIs, um, things of that nature. You need to be a... Um, I don't want to say outstanding citizen, but someone with integrity um, to be able to, to pass those things and to be able to get hired uh, with those type of um, organizations is important. So would that be a deal stopper? Say if you did have that, are there people that still can get hired? No, they can still get hired. Um, it's just something you want to be upfront and honest about. Everyone makes mistakes, right? Um, so they're not after to you know punish someone or something of that nature. So they evaluate the whole person. Uh, is what they do. They don't evaluate just one incident. Um, they evaluate the whole person. But certainly important to to look out for that, look out for who you're hanging out with, the life decisions that you make, um, because it's just a shame that you know someone would make a poor life decision at a younger age and not be as mature and then want to get into this field and, and work something that's a new stealth bomber program, you know, just a real cool thing, um, and, and you need to have that type of a clearance level that thing could come back and haunt you possibly. 
Yeah. It's similar to doing background checks and, and as being a pilot, you know, those type of things. It's really a good idea to try as hard as you can not to, to get into trouble uh, when you're younger. And uh, and if it's something way in the past, you know, there there's a way, you know, that it kind of works its way out of the system. But in general, there's uh, they go way back when they're doing some of these security tests. Uh, it's pretty interesting, uh, especially for your TS clearance, your top secret clearance, that type of thing. Um, when you know, when you're actually somebody that's looking at getting into this field and you do have those challenges, don't think you can't overcome them. Uh, just make sure that, you know, you do try as hard as you can to, to keep on the straight and narrow. That's for sure. Um, as far as the and, and this has been great talking to you. I mean, this is awesome. Um, yeah. As far as a life of learning and this kind of want to start concluding here as far as uh, you've been you've really been a good example of dedicating yourself to a lifetime of learning. And uh, why is it you you feel this way? I mean, obviously, you have a strong conviction towards a, a lifetime of learning. I, I never want to become stale. Uh, aviation is an evolving field. Um, it's becoming more and more complex. And I know you and I have discussed this some more, and I might take this and, and merge it into to pilot training and kind of the future. And, and what we kind of we kind of do, we, what we used to do in the past is we used to put people in these boxes and we'd have, okay, the engineers or the engineering community, the maintenance people or the maintenance community, the pilots or the pilot community, the air traffic controllers or the air traffic controller community. And everybody knows kind of what they do in their each little communities. But when we look at aviation today, it's a highly integrated, complex system. These things are all working together now with maintenance systems that are coming online, a uh, way pilots are interfacing with the human machine interface between the aircraft, how engineering is evolving into the aircraft side where the pilots have to understand how that aircraft system works. The engineers need to understand how a pilot um, flies that aircraft. The air traffic controllers need to understand the capabilities of that airplane, the situations that the, the pilot may be able to get into. We look at things like ADS-B that's coming about, the next-gen airspace system. So all this is, is merging together into this, this integrated complex system. So as I see that kind of occurring, as it's been occurring, I wanted to continue to ensure that I was up to speed on these type of uh, advancements within um, aviation because I think that's – critical um, to keep you kind of moving forward to keep to be on the edge and I you know I think um, before it was good enough for a pilot or even an engineer if I could talk kind of about both here for a second it was good enough for a pilot to just understand the checklist it was good enough for an engineer to just understand the formulas and the science behind it but now we need to understand each other more and what do I mean by understanding each other more the engineer, and I've got my pilot's license, I'm working my instrument now, needs to understand what the pilot goes through from a human machine, a human factors uh, sort of day-to-day -day thing as they're manipulating that aircraft. But the pilot needs to understand what happens in those aircraft systems. And we've seen accidents occur over the last 10 years in this type of thing where pilots get confused over errors. Um, I don't want to say that they didn't, maybe didn't understand. Maybe they did or didn't. I don't know. And maybe that's just uh, poor training, right? Maybe it's not the pilot's fault at all. We're just not training pilots um, the way we should be with these integrated complex systems. So that's a long way of answering your question, Carl. But I think it's really important because that's really what's driven me to lifelong learning. And I don't continue to stop because aviation is evolving fast and technology is evolving fast and we have to stay up to speed. 
Yeah, I do agree. And one of the things that you've done, too, to, to keep your training moving forward, you just touched on there for a second, is in your pilot training, you're working on your instrument right now. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So so you're going to keep moving forward with that, and that actually adds to your repertoire and can be used within the engineering aspect. That's right. I think yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. Uh, so no matter what it is you do, you should continue to uh, try to excel in whatever it may be. Uh, I love the fact you brought this up because myself, I mean, I'm studying all the time. And, you know, I do a lot of interview preps and, you know, I have hundreds and hundreds of questions. I constantly am coming up with things that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And and I'm stu- and I'm sure you do, too. And that's the cool thing about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is, is you can learn stuff all the time. And that's so exciting. And and we need to, to not stop. Yeah. And that. I try to try to involve that in the courses I teach at Polk State, you know, to ensure that we're, we're diving deeper in just the principles. If I'm teaching a human factors class or an aerodynamics class or a propulsion class, I'm trying to dive a little bit deeper and push the pilots because that's who's taking those courses. It's not, a, not an engineering course. It is a course for pilots. But I'm trying to push them to understand. And a good example I like to give is, you know, why do you change minimums on an instrument approach? You know, if the WAS system goes out, well, what is a WAS system? What does that mean? Uh, wide area augmentation system. So how does it work? You know, how does an autopilot work when you push the heading hold button, what's happening in the aircraft system for that airplane to maintain heading? Uh, What type of information is it getting to understand those types of modes that you get into? Um, And I think that's really important because it's just not enough. And I can't stress that enough. It's just not enough to understand the procedure in the checklist. You really need to dive a little bit deeper into those aircraft systems. And that's what's going to make you a great pilot. And I think that's what's going to make you an even safer pilot. You know, now that you brought up Polk State College, I think uh, it would behoove of us to talk a little bit about that. You talk a lot about it a lot. It's a, it's a, something that's really important in your life. It's part of that lifetime of learning, but it's also part of giving back, I think, to the community for you Absolutely. and everybody else. Um, so Polk State College, why Polk State and, and what do they offer there uh, as far as somebody who's looking at it from the perspective of getting into aerospace? Yeah, good question. I mean, Polk State, um, great school. Um, I think there's a great uh, atmosphere there of learning. Um, that's why I'm involved in it all the way from the top uh, to all the instructors that I teach with there and my other colleagues there. Um, the class sizes are manageable, um, which is a plus uh, for the students. So I get a lot of one-on-one interaction with the students. I can hang out after the class for a little bit and talk to them because I don't have a – and that's one good thing about being an adjunct as well. I do have a day job, so I'm not there all day like like Eric is and some of the other folks, obviously. Um, but um, I don't have a full teaching job either, so I got a, a, a very um, small teaching load. So I'm able to interface with those students uh, more frequently, whether that's by email, via phone. And I've had plenty of students call me and say, just like we're kind of talking about today, hey, I just want to come. Can you have some time that uh, maybe we can just talk about my future? I'm not really sure if I want to be a pilot. Maybe I want to be an engineer or vice versa, someone as was an engineer going to school to be an engineer and says, I don't know if I want to be an engineer, I want to be a pilot. Um, so I'll have those conversations quite frequently with students. And, and that's the type of atmosphere Polk State is, and uh, it's, it's really good. 
And, and if you don't mind, I'm going to put a plug in is Polk State College. One of the reasons I get involved with Polk State is that I feel they truly democratize education. There, there's actually, it's available and open to everybody. That's one of the things I think is really cool about a school like that. Uh, not every school is like that. Um, and there are so many challenges, but they are very accepting and open to everybody, uh, no matter your background, financially or otherwise. And that's one of the things that's really cool is that you have this incredible diverse background there. Yep. So, Aaron, this has uh, just been awesome having you on here. And I'd love, there's going to be questions, I'm sure, uh, from people. Yeah. <laughs> and if they want to reach out, uh, they can go feedback at aviationcurspodcast.com. We'll forward them on to Aaron. Of course, you can go to the contact page. Uh, but is there anything else uh, you might want to say to somebody is, that's looking at uh, getting into engineering in general or uh, a lifetime of learning? Any any last thoughts, yeah, uh, yeah. advice to folks? Yeah, don't give up. Uh, I mean, keep pushing forward. Um you know, find things that even if you, you know, don't look at the money aspect of education, that can sometimes drive people away. Um, there's a lot of scholarships out there. I know you provide that stuff, Carl. That's how I got my doctorate degree was through the DOD Smart Scholarship. Um, so it was paid for. And also, if you get into the career field, and I have this discussion, and sorry not to elaborate some more on this, but a lot of topics kind of come up when you ask these questions. But, you know, a lot of people will come to me or, or kids and be like, you know, I'm in my bachelor's degree, but I want to know how to get my doctorate. And I'll say, well, hold on a second. Like, go get your bachelor's, get into a field, get working for the company, because a lot of companies and government organizations will pay for your master's and pay for your doctoral degree. And that's what happened with me. So I only paid for my bachelor's degree, but my master's degree and my doctoral degree were paid for scholarships uh, through uh, the government organizations I work for. So, so you know, take it in chunks um, uh, before you kind of just go full throttle into the lifelong learning. And that's why it's called lifelong learning. You're not going to do it from 20 or 18 to 24. It's 18 to until you retire. Absolutely. Even an old guy like me, you know, you can't, you can't <laughs> yeah, you're never too old to go back to school either. <laughs> no, that is, that is for sure. That is for sure. Oh, and, and believe me, I mean, in my Italian class, I had a 75 year old lady that was in my class. So I mean, it's awesome uh, to see people doing that. You know, one of the things you mentioned that DOD smart scholarship, we have it in the scholarships guide. It's really just one page, but it is huge. And if you are involved in the department of defense, uh, you can look at these scholarships, whether you or a family member is, and I really highly recommend you look towards that. I think that's one of the ones that gets looked over too much. Yep. Uh, and it's really something they should should press on. But I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm glad you brought up all these things, Aaron. We need to have you back on again <laughs> yeah, to talk anytime, a little bit more. Bro, I love doing and, it. And, and I'd love to talk about your, you know, what's going on with your aviation at some point and uh, the and, and what's, you know, moving forward in the career, et cetera. This has been a lot of fun and uh, it's really cool to have somebody on that's a flight test engineer. Uh, you get to work on some really cool stuff. I guess the one thing I, I, I should ask you in closing is, is there anything you can share with us, anything cool that you're working on now? I know there's a lot of secret squirrel <laughs> stuff you do. Or if there's anything that you might be able to mention you worked on in the past that we can actually see that I that you can talk about. Yeah, so I worked on Predator quite a bit, um, uh, Predator and the Hellfire missile integration stuff. Um, worked on a lot of drone programs that are out there right now supporting our men and women in uniform. Um, so if you've seen a drone flying on TV, I've probably had some type of interface with it at some point in my career uh, thus far. So um, again, that's what's that's what's exciting about it. And you know, another thing, Carl, that we didn't get to, which would be another thing to talk about, is you know some of the research that I'm doing in some of this area. Um, and flight training and things of that nature. So maybe we can uh, we can yes. schedule a time to talk about more of this flight training aspect and what's happening with uh, simulators and XR and VR 
would be a be a cool topic to talk about maybe in the future. Yeah. Let 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 us definitely do that. That's a whole that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. I'd love to have you back on to talk talk about that one. Uh, that's for sure. And um and going back to Polk State, by the way, just to, and I hate to be plugging the school so much, but one of the cool things is we have people like Aaron who are working in the development of of the drone systems. We also have uh, who's on our safety board. Um, is actually the person who runs the uh, the drone program for the NTSB. So one of the things that's, re- and this is at Polk State, so this is something that uh, I think is really cool that a lot of times you, you pass up over certain schools. And one of the things that I think is important when you're picking a school is actually look at the faculty and see what they're doing. You'd be surprised at the, the various backgrounds of the people that are they're involved in all the different programs out there. Uh, so anyway, uh, Aaron, again, this has been awesome. We're going to do it again. We're going to talk yes, a little bit you. more about that, that the, the second time topic and the third topic we talked about <laughs> in, in a, a future discussion. But, you know, if you're you're listening now, obviously, right, it's feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Click on the contact page. Uh, but most importantly, just like Aaron said, is you need to keep moving forward. Uh, you know, after you hit the stop button on this, you stop jogging, you're driving in your car, whatever it is you're doing, uh, make sure you take action. It can be something really small. You know, I always take a lot of action by writing things down. I also have those new reminders like on the phone and uh, I'll tell Siri to, to remind me of something. Do something today to move forward in your career, whether it's looking up some of the scholarships, it's looking at the websites, the links that we have, whatever it is, but don't stop. Take action today and move forward in your career and your life. We'll we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.